What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create Podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. On today's episode, we have singer-songwriter and activist Enrique Chi. Enrique is the lead singer of the internationally acclaimed band Making Movies, which is known for its Latinx activism. They were nominated in 2019 for the Latin Grammy Album of the Year on a project they worked with, Ruben Blades. And they've even had their music featured on NPR's Best Albums of 2019. He is also the founder of Art as Mentors, a nonprofit that helps young artists explore their full potential. We discuss mentorship, excellence, activism, and the freedom and power that comes to know that just because something is a certain way, it does not have to stay that way. There's a lot of laughter and a lot of insight. It's a great episode. You guys are going to enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. So many things, so many places I think uh, we could go because what you're up to, what making movies is up to. Uh, but I want to start where th- there was this conversation we had. I don't even know if you remember it. We were having uh, pho down in like downtown Kansas City back when Run With It, my previous band, had started. And I was I was wrestling through this idea of merging uh, like kind of uh, social conscious idea with our band. But people were were telling me, they were like, hey, man, you shouldn't do that. It can mess up your brand. It could confuse your audience on and on. And I was lamenting this to you. And I was like, what's your advice? And and you looked at me, you said, fuck them. Just just fuck them and do what you're going to do. <laughs> like, and I, <laughs> like I said, I don't even, it was like a random little conversation we had. But but I'm serious, man, that that concept had just kept turning in my brain and I was stepping out of this, this bubble uh, of my own life at the time. And also I'm just a natural people pleaser. So it, it just felt very foreign to me, but I, I held on to that. I'd often hear Enrique in my brain saying, fuck him, man, just do what you're going to do <laughs> and, and let it, let it kind of go and, and let it happen. Um, and I've, I've even told that story and giving advice to other people along the way. Uh, so one, thank you for that advice. Cause it is catapulted to me in, in all sorts of directions. But what I was curious where I want to start is that like that, tena- that tenacity, that boldness, is that something that was natural for you that like you were a two-year-old and you're like, fuck a man, we're just gonna do our thing. Or is that something you learned along the way? Uh, I think there's a bit of natural to it for me. Um, I remember my my grandmother who who passed away a couple of years ago, but she we were in Panama and she's just like this really like tough woman who was born in Phoenix City, Alabama, married my Chinese, half Chinese, half Panamanian grandfather who was studying medicine at Tulane and had to do like a residency in Columbus, Georgia, which is the sister city to Phoenix City. Okay. It'd be like if Kansas City and um Raymore or something like that. Like Phoenix city is Raymore, um, gotcha. but across the state line and the, uh, they met and they got married and then he like brought her back to Panama as a 23 year old. And so she's this like white woman in a tiny little, um, central American town is sticks out like a sore thumb, um, had trouble, you know, fitting in or whatever. She, so she's like feisty. And I think I might've got inherited some of that. And <laughs> And I, I remember like I came home from a kindergarten assignment and they're like, I was supposed to glue cotton balls onto a piece of paper to make clouds. And I was just like, I spent, I spent probably longer than it would have taken me to glue the cotton balls, just complaining to my grandmother that this is just ridiculous. Like this is a stupid assignment and I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. This is not, this is a waste of my time. And, 
<laughs> and she, I love it. She, she got mad at me and ended up doing the assignment for me. Like I won in the battle. Like I, I, I talked my way out of doing the, the gluing the cotton balls onto the piece of paper. And, and I don't think I felt very victorious because I felt bad that my grandma was doing it. But, uh, but I, I have always felt like the way things are is not how they have to be. And maybe right. that comes from um, the multicultural element, right? Like uh, at five years old, moved to the U.S., Right, right around six, and all of a sudden the story switched. At Christmas in Latin America, um, it's changed a little bit now because of globalization and the internet. But in Latin America, baby Jesus brought you your presents. Mm-hmm. It was a baby Jesus, which makes equal sense to, to Santa. Is flying around <laughs> somehow, just as equal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. little tiny baby shows up at your house and gives you presents. It's it's great, you know. You get all your presents and get to the U.S. and like, there's this like fat white guy in a in a red suit, and I'm just like, what is this? You're like Jesus got older and he's been eating a lot of food. What the hell's happening? He's got a big beard and he, he what is going on, right? And he wears this goofy outfit. And it's like, oh, that's Santa Claus. He gives in America, he gives you your presents. And my parents like could tell that I was looking at them like, wait a second. And they're like, all right, fine. None of it's true. <laughs> the thing the parents say to kids to keep them excited about Christmas. Um, and I distinctly remember that I couldn't wait to speak English. So I could tell everybody that Santa Claus is not is not real. <laughs> <laughs> so not only are you you're not going to take the bullshit, and you're also going to let everyone else know that there's bullshit happening. You're going to challenge bullshit it. happening. Yeah, dude, it's- it makes so much sense that like hearing that story, you five or six, even just seeing your career <laughs> as you grow things, that makes uh, perfect sense. I love it. Uh, it it's encouraging too, because my youngest, he's seven, and he's kind of got this personality like this is bullshit. Like what's going on? Like he looks at school kind of like that, and yeah. and just fresh with it so it gives me hope that 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 personality is going to continue to grow and and maybe change some things so i love it man well thanks man Uh, yeah i think it's interesting um so i think some of it's natural and i think also like being a a band in the midwest that was singing in spanish was really shocking so we're already like we're already outsiders so i didn't think like any rules applied to us in hindsight um in a weird way, like now I'm bringing in a lot more structure into my life and a lot more following protocols and things like that uh, than I ever used to, because I realized like, okay, well, you can't throw out the whole rule book. Like there's a reason why people do things this way. <laughs> but <laughs> You had to break to through some of the boundaries to figure out like, oh, maybe, maybe that one was good. Maybe that one's right. good. Like, you know, being organized with your time and, uh, having right. workflow with a creative team and all this kind of stuff. It's like, feels very corporate or whatever. It's actually not, like the, the, the original impetus of it, people get maybe get lost where they, they, um, and I, I would think that this is, I think I would say this is a parallel to, to music and to spiritual growth or personal growth. People get um, really stuck on the mechanics of something and they forget the, why the mechanic existed. Right. Like the mechanic doesn't uh, to give a really tangible example in, when you start a project, it's really amazing to assign roles, right? It's super important. Like Miguel, your job is to record the podcast. My job is to answer the questions. Your job is to ask them. That's our roles in this situation. And because of that, we can be really good at succeeding. Well, you don't have to slow down and do that every time. If you're in a band and your, and your uh, bandmates are siblings, which, you know, my brother plays in the band, right? Cause there's a certain built in, like we kind of know our role, 
Um, you just do it. You're just executing, operating out of an almost a natural ability at that point. Almost a natural ability. But that's not to say it, but that that does like uh, have its limitations. And then when you bring someone else onto the team that isn't inside of your head as much as your sibling is, mm-hmm. then you're like, wait a second, why don't you understand what we're trying to do? Oh, because none of us have said it out loud. And we are assuming you understand because you've been in a van with us for a decade, but you haven't. <laughs> So that makes sense. We need to say that stuff out loud. This is the project. You ask the questions. I answer them. You record. And now we're going to get it done. You know, and so some of those things like came full circle and and realized like, oh, those are actually really important skills. But then not to say that, it, but if you don't, you don't, have, but, but it would be silly if within our band, if every time we set out to rehearse, we, we, we slow down and, and, and had a meeting to say, hey, guys, you play bass. Got it? You drums. Yep. Right. Right. Like, like, and, and I think a lot of like organizations and a lot of um, leaders and whatever, like they get really, they get like so stuck on the process that they'll make their, they'll make people redo kind of these like monotonous things for no reason. It's all the TPS reports and, and just like a bunch, a bunch of waste of time, uh, like constantly going through there. And I love what you're talking about too. I think if you see anything grow uh, or scale up, like, uh, the idea of like organizations expanding. I used to work with an organization where we were launching uh, different, different businesses basically uh, in the city. And so it's like, you could launch, you could start one here in this area of the city. If you're going to start it in another one, you expand to two, you start, it starts highlighting different issues that you're running into. But once you go to three or four, like you, if you didn't have systems in place, if you didn't have things lined up, like you were in some serious trouble. And so I, totally. it almost sounds like as you guys, as a band continue to grow and obviously building all these different organizations and, and the festivals that you guys are doing, it's like, oh, we need to get our shit together. We can't just operate out of this natural ability, have to build it in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and maybe our natural ability wasn't as good as we thought too. That, you know, it's like a bit of like, oh, we, we spin our wheels harder than we need to. And, and, I, and I've, I've been like my mantra this year, not really technically a mantra, but like my thing I keep repeating in my, in my head is like, how do I do less and do everything better? Yes. You know? I love that. It's, it's, it's easy to stay busy. Um, it's actually mm-hmm. relatively easy. And in a way it's a cop out. You can, you can make yourself so busy to avoid like, this is a really honest example. Um, I'd have to go back and watch old performances quite often, you know, mm-hmm. And of, of our shows because of we're making content with them. I have to tell an editor, hey, for the marketing of this thing, grab the last five minutes of this thing and, you know, chop it up or whatever. And I remember the days that I'm re- performing and I realized that like sometimes I, I wouldn't treat the, the musical performance with enough respect. And I would spend my day, like I'd say it's a, like one of our festival days. I would spin my wheels at a at a real at what a, a logical ish task to get done because the festival is happening, and I would be exhausted or mentally or physically frayed by the time mm-hmm. I get to the musical performance, and I would see that as almost like a badge of honor. Yes, I and, it, and all- it's the idea of hustle. Look how look how intense I am, but but you get to it and you run out of gas. Ran out of gas, and it actually was an insecurity. What I realized, mm. I realized that I was spinning myself and running that hard because I was afraid to not have any excuses to fail. I mm. wanted to have an excuse if I failed. 
Damn. My excuse is that I ran myself super frayed. And so that note's a little out of tune. I didn't deliver that song to the level that, but you know, give me some credit. I just, I spent all day running all this stuff. That's actually insecurity. Dude, that's huge, man. That's super huge. Yeah, it is. It is. And, um, and it's, you know, it's a lifelong battle, I think, to like mitigate your own insecurities and, and try to deliver something that really, you know, remember what the main thing is at any time, which, which for me is often music, but not always, you know, right. um, like, uh, are you familiar with Tim Ferriss Four hour work week, all that kind of stuff? I, uh, I've never read the book, but I I've listened to a few of his podcasts from time to time. I, th- I think he's very intriguing. Yeah. The book itself hits on a lot of topics you're talking about. And one thing he drives home is this idea that busyness is often a form of laziness. And that hits me a ton because I'm I'm the kind of person I love waking up at 5 a.m. just fucking going, going, going and falling to bed at night. Uh, but often I found myself in the past just spinning my wheels. Actually, one thing I was looking over and had recently written down where it's like Miguel kind of talking to myself like, Miguel, I know you're willing to do anything to make this happen. But are you willing to do the right things? And but like hearing you break that down where like it actually exposes insecurity behind it, because like you said, it it's like you get stuck in this cycle where you can point to that. I, I tried my best. It was like, but did you try the right stuff? Did you actually make mm-hmm. the priorities the main thing? And I never heard that. Awesome, man. Busyness is laziness. I should probably read his book, but that's a, that's a great way to describe it because you were too lazy to prioritize. Damn. Right? I, I'll say this to me. I was too lazy to prioritize yeah. my time and my day. And therefore I um, was spending myself really busy and clumsily accomplishing what I was doing versus executing it. And and I think, I mean, this, this is like maybe I'm being too transparent, but I think maybe that's a point of these conversations. Like yeah, I think I making it. Would, would be, I don't know, three, four times more successful had I figured that out five years ago. <laughs> I feel you, man. I feel you. I, well, and I, I love systems. I love putting in place systems uh, to execute, but then I almost want the systems just to kind of operate on their own. And then I, I forget the why behind it. And so again, I look back, like you talk about the success, maybe I could have had, or you could have had, it's like, I look back, it's like I was spinning wheels at that point. I wasn't moving Mm -hmm. forward anymore. It's just a system operating in a vacuum at, at any point. So, but yeah, busyness is a form of laziness is, is huge. And man, I have not thought about that concept that the insecurities behind it as well. That's huge, man. That's very huge. It is. I mean, and like I, I, one performance that, that I, I think about is like my tiny desk performance. And I was just watching it last night, or I didn't watch the whole show, but I, we're turning in a grant application for the, a 2022 festival, fingers crossed that COVID and the vaccines are effective and that we can, um, we can do that. And um, there's a snippet of our tiny desk concert in one of like the, the whatever, the, the media work samples or whatever to to see if this organization is going to help fund this this project which would be great and so i'm watching my interview or i'm watching me ex- describe what we do and it's kind of fun to see like there's like a there's a calm to it of like i'm saying the same stuff i say it a little more eloquently now i say it a little more um decisively mm-hmm. and back then but it, but it's like oh baby enrique already knew <laughs> knew that this is the message <laughs> And I, and I had to live a little bit more to know how to say the message more effectively or whatever, find, 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 uh, find ways to do it. But I could hear in my voice, a raspiness of being hoarse. Mm-hmm. And I remember the gig we played the night before in 
Washington, D.C. And it was a little like pickup gig. It wasn't it was like a little Latin uh, venue, but venue like, I don't know, more akin to it was more akin to like if if. Uh, what is that? That Spanish restaurant here in Kansas City, um, the tapas restaurant, it's like cross street from La Fonda Taquito. I, oh, I can't think of it. <laughs> so like if a nice bistro had a stage, then if it would have been if like a concert venue, right? Okay. So it was just like a way to pick up a little bit of cash. We happened to be in the market <clears> and uh, just just perform, you know, get ourselves warmed up. And our manager was was on was traveling with us, our manager at the time. And he's like, all right, everybody needs to go to bed really soon or whatever. And I remember like looking at the drink tickets in my hand and being like, fuck it, you know, like... <laughs> I have definitely had those nights, my friend. <laughs> and I like, you know, it was like, like I need to finish my drink tickets. Like, and in my head, I'm like, that's the. You'd be of- wasting money. I mean, you earn those drink tickets, right? I earn these drink tickets. Absolutely. And, and I'm, it's, it's rock and roll. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing this wrong. And, and the reality is, like, wait a second, that was self sabotage. I knew the consequence. I knew I would be more hoarse the next day, and I knew that my vocal delivery would be less good and i think it's in the same category of i wanted to have an excuse i wanted to be like like oh i'm a little hungover like or whatever like and i wasn't terribly hungover and we didn't fail at the show it wasn't these are all microaggressions like thankfully i I, like whatever my level of self-sabotage didn't mean i was like on heroin on the street and unable (laughs) to get in in the you you were you weren't at like 40 percent. you're like at 80 85 percent, but you knew you could have been at a hundred. You knew where you could actually execute at. I know. Yep. I knew where I could actually execute at. And, and, and I think that it even goes all the way down to the core of practicing. Like when you practice your instruments, whatever they are, or you practice a song, like it's so easy to work on, like, you know, the thing you're not good at. And it's so easy to work on everything right around the thing that you're struggling with and not, uh, I feel you, man. Ah, I feel oh, you. The thing that I'm just not that good at, I just, I'll do that tomorrow. When in so, reality, if you spent less time practicing and spent more focus just on the trouble spots, like even scientifically as they've researched, uh, are you familiar with the book Talent Code, uh, Daniel Coyle I'm, at all? I'm familiar with it, but I, I need to read more oh, books. I'm reading right. from this podcast. And it, it's it's a great book. It is actually Clint was the one who introduced me to that one. And but yeah, it showed that if you did less time, but focused on those problem areas. And I know that I've studied that book a ton. I've taught other people, but still I find I laugh because I find myself even in my own practice time this week, I'm laughing <laughs> at what you're saying is like, I got stuck on, oh, this feels comfortable and good and I'll move on and, and, and just kind of rehash those same things over and over again. It seems like a recurring theme, right? It's being comfortable in the uncomfortable is like, yeah part of the the key to success you know uh like the uncomfortable thing that you're saying originally like how do i merge some sort of social justice or social activism with my musical output is that going to be uncomfortable for some folks yep Yep. it's going to be uncomfortable for some folks but you got to learn how to be comfortable in that space um so yeah no i don't know it's interesting those it's like uh it it makes all these kind of conversations it makes me i'm not a religious person but it makes me um think about or question like wow there seems like some fundamentally universal or scientific kind of universal principles that apply to at least the human biology that that kind of unlock um 
paths to success. Yeah. And, you know, so I don't think it's dogmatic. I don't think it's like, like you must do this this way because God has deemed it that way or because this, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's like, where we like, get in trouble. That's where we get in trouble, right? Like Absolutely. Tim Ferriss is not God. And, and the way he, <laughs> busyness is, busyness is, is laziness is a great reminder of some sort of principle that must, it's probably connected to our biology, right? We probably yeah. inherit those, um, those insecurities or those like maybe faulty systems out of like an ancient need for survival. Like maybe it was based on how, how we need to forage for food, you know, or something like that. And so we it's have inter- this, like, It's interesting you say that because when you think about evolution, it was like the least amount of energy you could use up, but still survive the better off you would be. So in a sense, like even down to evolution, simplicity is, is going to be the most, are the most beneficial to your survival. So I, I'm, I don't know. I just, it just got me thinking uh, towards that idea of, of busyness becomes laziness as well. If you start expanding all your energy and like you live in a hut in the middle of, you know, like back 10,000 years ago, like you're just going to die. You're not going to survive. You're not going to pass on your genes. So yeah, that's, and well, it's interesting you bring up like the religious piece because it's like, as I look at religion and try to understand that different religions, uh, actually just had a friend of mine who's a, a Sikh and we, he was sharing like his tenets and how that, that has driven him. It's like, almost to me, almost all those things are reaching out, looking and trying, almost reaching in the dark, like trying to fumble around, figure out like, what does this mean? And, and in a way, self-help has almost become the, the new religion of the day, the Tim Ferriss's and the Gary Vaynerchuk's, <laughs> that yeah. kind of stuff. And, but yeah, maybe everyone's just still grasping for the same, the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know, but it does make me wonder, you know, like it makes me question that because <laughs> so many of the conversations go down the same path. And I, and I will I will say this, like, and this is like the premise, the whole premise for artist mentorship. And I don't necessarily say this piece out loud all the time because it has to be the right audience for them to understand it. But to me, um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure, but the lessons that you learn, the whatever self-help spiritual growth, whatever you want to call that stuff, all those lessons, you can learn them by learning music. Like they're all there. Like, I can't think of one that you need, like, well, what about, um, you know, you're in a marriage and you're, you're having trouble with conflict resolution. It's like, have you ever tried to make music with people? You have to learn how to be vulnerable. You have to learn how to communicate your ideas. You have to learn to accept rejection. Like, your ideas, I'm the leader of my band. And I, I think that one would assume that I face the least rejection because I get to call the shots in a some sort of kind of way. Not true. I actually face the most rejection out of anybody in the band because I, I'm the one that has to face, like I'm pushing the envelope on, on ideas and initiatives that we have. And mm-hmm. nine out of 10 of them come back as a no. I also write most of the tunes I've written the predominant amount of the tunes that the, that making movies has put out, and out of every song that you would ever hear from us, there's ten that were discarded. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, like the, those kind of things, like where you're like, oh yeah, you have to accept some level of rejections, accept being vulnerable, and then um, other other kind of practices, like like still like mindfulness and learning to get a sense of stillness, like in a musical performance. That's what you're chasing. You're chasing that like stillness while you're performing. Like, I think it's all there. I, I think that you. And I don't know, I don't know, perhaps it's all there because music was such a integral part of human communication for, for this, during this evolutionary process. But to me, like whatever you need to succeed, you can learn 
by making music. Not saying that everybody in the world needs to be a musician, but but I think that everybody in the world should experience music in a more in a more tactile manner than just a passive listener. Like everyone should try to participate in music uh, on some level. Well, and that's I know what's such a unique thing about you and your band, the your band members is how much you want to invest in your community. You want to invest in in a, a lot of younger people, but even like even that, you know, I was I was an adult and you still took time out to sit down and talk and and talk through some concepts. Uh, as far as art as mentorship, uh, what started you to to launch that and and dive into that? So it started nine years ago. We um well, maybe 10 now, actually. We, we, I, so I, I met Juan Carlos's mother at a Maddie Rhodes event, and his mother had his, their Ballet Folklorico group was performing. And so when they performed, you know, she came up to me and she heard me play some music. She's like, You got to meet my son. He's very talented and very handsome. And I was like, Okay, lady, <laughs> who are you? And who's this? <laughs> I met him, and he's pretty talented. And He's kind of handsome. It's she was she was all right. You're like but, you're, um, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Juan Carlos is he's pretty cool. But um, they you know they were using the ballet folklorico as a way to empower empower youth. And that day I asked the Maddie Road Center. I was like, this is really cool. Like these are Im- young immigrant kids. Like, can I help? Do you do any music stuff? And they're like, no. But you could you could come come talk to Joe Faust. He's doing the after school program. Joe Faust went on to do our I am another you album cover. Like it became kind of a, a family. Um, and we started doing music programming at the at the Maddie Road Center, which was very basic. At the beginning, I would just bring two guitars, show up, and see who might be interested in in messing around with music. Then um, I, I met with the director nine years ago and said, "Hey, I think we." I talked to the band, and we'd love to start a music camp. We we've traveled around and we saw some other cities that were doing cool stuff, and there's nothing like it in Kansas City. Would you give us the, the green light to do a one-week camp at the Maddie Road Center? And he said, let's do it. We'll figure it out. And he gave me a $1,000 budget to do it, which I thought at the time, I wasn't even thinking about this as like any sort of business or anything like that. But it's like, wow, $1,000 is amazing. This is, we can totally do this. You know, we're just going to donate our time. I didn't even think about money. <laughs> and, and then it's like, you got to background check your teachers. What does that cost? 50 bucks a teacher. Okay, did the math. All right. And then we got to feed the kids. Oh, yeah, I got to feed the kids. Okay, so how much money do we have left over? Oh, negative two hundred dollars. All right. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I see, I see where we're at. I see where we're at. This is yeah, it costs a lot more money to do this. So then, you know, the second year, we're like, wait, we would take them on a field trip. Let's take them to the jazz museum and let's do something interesting, or take them to a venue. How much does it cost to rent one of those buses? Oh, it's five hundred bucks for the day. Oh, that's not that crazy. I wonder if it's a local business that would sponsor the field trip. And little by little, we would learn. It was just organic like that. Like, like how do we get things done? Oh, wait, we could pay teachers. We could pay them like $300 for the week. Wow, let's do that. Then it's just like, we could pay them like 500 bucks for the week, which is still not really good money, but it's at least like, you know, respectful for the time. And then we'd done that for like five or six years. And and then we would, we would have like kind of like, false starts of more robust programming um also all the 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 programming kept pushing towards songwriting as the as the the vehicle by which to to transmit this information because we we'd only have a week and we'd have kids with such varying um skill sets and so while songwriting was a creative process you could have the beginner kid and the and the kid who's been playing for 10 years you'd have them collaborate in a really Mm -hmm. um real way because 
because maybe it's the the new kid is saying I want to sound more dark and the more experienced kid can say oh I think maybe we could do this chord and they would be teaching each other and in and it wouldn't it would keep them both creatively engaged so oh so anyways um we would have false starts of of recording um false starts of like doing doing more songwriting programming throughout the year but then we realized like all right the magic of the one week camp is that you can call favors for a week if you're starting to do more than that you can't really call favors for you know the the whole all the time for the whole year (laughs) so um so then we're like well shoot how do we actually do this i guess i need to start a not-for-profit to to build the house that really the rebel song academy which was what the camp was starting to become is um like I needed the house to put this piece into it, to have this room where where we could use songwriting to empower kids all year long. And that's how we started and didn't have any idea how to start a not-for-profit. I took a, a Artist Inc. course at Mid-America Arts Alliance and th- it, they don't really talk about starting a not-for-profit. They just kind of mentioned that that's an option. And Bo Bledsoe had started one and we, I, we went out to get tacos and had a conversation and he kind of did a similar thing that 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 we did where I was asking him, hey man, is this crazy? And he's like, no, it's not crazy. I think you have a not-for-profit. He's like, it's going to take you three years to figure it out, um, but uh, you should do it. And I I did it. Now we're at, at year three. We're like, we're, we're, we've done three years of, of work at this point and we don't have it figured out just yet, but it's a lot more figured out than it was. But man, you, you guys are moving forward and doing some, some great things. Uh, we could definitely see that and w- seeing you in action, uh, getting to be there, uh, for a whole week, a camp one time. And then I think I've dipped in and seen like different things you're doing. You have this passion that just like overflows from you of, of mentorship. I can tell it's not just about a program. You're not trying to like boost yourself. I can see you working with these students and it's like you you want them to grow. You want them to get it. You it's almost like it's almost like you see dreams for them they don't even have yet. And it's really cool to witness. And I'm curious that passion for mentorship, that that passion for investment, where does that come from for you? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I guess I um, my parents are both teachers, not by trade, but they my dad did teach a little bit. Um, my mother the like I guess she's teaching now she's teaching a college class now but they always would do like little like like they're they're religious people sometimes it would be like like uh like lessons or whatever based on 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 their faith um my dad did like has taught a few like translation courses or whatever and they were always really good with young people and with explaining ideas and so maybe just from them um Mm -hmm. And then I started teaching guitar lessons as a way to just make a make ends meet um, early on in my career before the the band had gotten to the place where where we had an audience. Um, and so through that, I guess I, I saw the value of of being able to transmit this kind of information to younger folks. Um, and and then when we met Juan Carlos's family and realized that they had been doing this by the Folklorico group for 40 years to Im- impact youth um, in in our city, that's when it's like, all right, this is beautiful. Like you can really use art as more than um, something people like experience, you know, uh, as an audience member, but as a way to, to impact your community. And mm-hmm. maybe all that coalesced into, into this, I, it didn't feel, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, a methodical plan. It, it, it was one step at a time <laughs> and went, well, what's next? What would be the next thing to do? You know, that's kind of how we, we built the whole thing. 
well, hopefully to people listening, that'll be an encouragement to them as well as like, I don't, I don't have this grand strategy, but I know I want to impact this or build this thing. Hopefully they can see like, Hey, just keep taking the next step, figure out where you need to go next. And it'll keep growing, keep building. Um, you have two notable mentors. I'm sure you have a lot of other mentors, but, uh, Steve Berlin, uh, and, uh, Ruben Blades. I almost said Rick Rubin. Um, <laughs> uh, but, and so you, you have these folks who are investing in you, pouring in you, um, that are extremely notable in the music industry. And I think one thing I've seen a lot of artists make this mistake of, oh, I met this person who's higher up in the industry. They're my connection to help me get to this next thing. But what mm-hmm. I've noticed you in conversations that, uh, for you, it runs much deeper than that. Uh, it seems to at least, uh, that their relationships and their mentorship and you means a ton. What, what are some of the things you've learned, um, just as a person and as an artist, uh, from some of the mentors in your life? Tons of stuff. Um, one thing that like kind of picked up early on from C Berlin, he, he describes it as like, a or he described it one time. I don't know if this is something he says often, but as like a self kind of a self-prescribed um, definition of excellence that, you know, in, in music, there's no one grading you. There's no boss, you know, maybe perhaps you have a record label that might assess whether this recording is worth putting out, but at, definitely at the beginning of the process, there's no one, there's no oversight, which is the mm-hmm. beauty of it. And so you have to yourself decide, no, this needs to be excellent for me. And, and for no one else. And I noticed that when, like the first thing that I, first time I realized like, whoa, this is different than I'd ever experienced, um, at least making records in Kansas City was, not that we'd made records, we'd made some demos and whatnot, but mm. there's like a one, one second keyboard overdub, you know, bing, ding, ding. It's like some like touch, you know, little touch on, on a final chorus that, that is gonna be added to a song. And I noticed that Steve would close his eyes and listen so intently to those three notes. Ding, ding. Yep, that's it. Okay, cool. Next thing. Like, like that level of detail, like there's none of us were going to grade him on whether, I mean, a lot of producers don't function that way either. They might say, yeah, it seems a little more color. You all go figure it out. I'll be back in a few hours. Like, <laughs> which is not necessarily wrong either, but Steve had, had, um, you know, it's not wrong to empower people to make their own decisions, to have their own agency. And for you to just say, this is what I think you should do. Like Rick Rubin right. or whatever would be more so that way. Like, like you all do what you do and, and I'm just going to like steer the ship. But yeah. um, the, the, the thing that like, I realized with that is just like every detail is important. At least it should be to you. If it's important to you, then, then, then that's all that really matters. No one else is going to care. I don't even remember what the three notes were that he was, but I remember the <laughs> face. The it's like he, he was in it. He's like, these notes. Yep. And that's awesome. That's a powerful and thing, man. It is. And then, um, and so, I, I mean, I learned from, from Steve all the time and I ask him advice. I also learned he made boundaries in his life. Like he's not an engineer. I mean, he can, he can, he can make Pro Tools work and, and he can record him an overdub by himself or whatever if he needs to. But he he's always works with an engineer he learned that like his he could he could have figured that stuff out in 40 years of making records but his powers actually get diluted if he doesn't folk if he can if he's not above the mechanics of the recording hmm. 
if he's not the one that's worried about plugging in the microphone, if he's more deciding what microphone should it be and why, and, and then assessing, are these assumptions correct? That it's diminishing returns. Um, And some folks aren't like that. Some folks want to be in the mechanics of it when they're in producing a record. He figured that out. Life from it. But for him, it was, it was just bringing him down in a way, or like you said, diluting, maybe not bringing down, but diluting his impact. Totally. And so like, that's different for everybody, but it just, um, I've noticed that with all the great creators, they have a, they have a, uh, a, a boundaries on their creativity. For example, we're mixing a record with Chad Blake right now. And he's one of, he's like legendary. And Steve Berlin is part of, um, Chad Blake's story. That's how like Chad Blake kind of got some of his, his recognition through mixing Kiko by the Los, by Los Lobos and Steve Berlin was ha- highly involved with that. Well, Chad Blake, same thing. He's like, first thing I want to do is I want to mix the songs without talking to you all. I don't want to hear what you were thinking about it. Nothing. I'm going to send you what I think. And then we'll talk about it. But also never reference other music. Don't ever say, ah, you know, that 70s uh, Pink Floyd's <laughs> recording. Could you make the keys kind of sound, sound like that? If you, it, I, I don't function that way. Right. So like these people who have mm. built really vibrant, creative lives, um, they have their strict boundaries. This is how my That's creativity cool. works. If you want something different, go with someone else. <laughs> You're like, that's great, but it's not happening right here, my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's like, that's really profound. And the last thing I think uh, Ruben is functions definitely that way. Very strict boundaries. He, he's a, he has a law degree. So you'll get emails back from him. Like, I will not do that. And there's four reasons why I will not do that. One because of two, because, and then three, and you're like, oh yeah, it can be like off-putting at first, but then you realize, oh, that's just how he communicates. And he actually has never had a manager. So he has to tell people no all the time. You know, the, a million ideas are pitched at him every year. And he has spent most of his time saying no, 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 no. Oh, that one, that one I want to do. So, so you can understand where he would come from. But he said this to us when we were in New York City. He goes, I don't know the meaning of anything or like the what true happiness is. But the closest answer I have is that when your words, thoughts, emotions, and actions are in line, that's about as close as I've ever experienced. Hmm. That's like, good. Wow. So don't measure the success of your music on anything other than are my words emotions, actions, and, uh, th- and thoughts in line. That's awesome. And that's profound, right? It's cause like yeah, man. your thoughts, like control your, like manage, mitigate, control, focus your thoughts too. Right. And your, well, and even most, most of my days can be sunk or can rise up according to what's going on in my brain. Like it just starts to get these loops and almost a feedback loop of either negativity or hope and positivity and dreams and where I want to go. So yeah, that's, that's a powerful thing. If that, if all those things can line up, that's awesome, man. Sounds like you got some great mentors uh, pouring into you. You're doing the same thing uh, for a lot of other folks. And that's huge, man. I know we uh, time's about, about to wrap up for us, uh, but I wanted to dive into the last two questions. And for, for me, I'm, I'm on this journey uh, in my own personal life, continue to figure out what does it mean for me myself to live a great life? What does it mean to create great things? I feel like it's, uh, I'm with each conversation, I learn just a little bit more, but I'm curious for you, if, if you had to define it, which I guess you do now, cause I'm about to ask you a question, but <laughs> uh, how would you define right now living a great life for you personally? 
if my words, thoughts, and actions and emotions are in line. Um, <laughs> there you go. All less. right. Next. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, next question. No, I, I think I think that um, I think a balanced diet of um, working on my own creativity and my own art and exploring my own journey and then and then giving to others. Like if you don't spend enough time for yourself, like for your own, like the Rebel Song Academy would maybe, maybe not right. Maybe not anymore. Maybe there's enough, there's enough infrastructure in place, but it would definitely suffer if I stopped doing anything except for managing a not-for-profit because I wouldn't be feeding my own creativity in a way that, that is where the impetus for all of it came from. My own excitement for music creation and what that means to the world by because of my own music creation is why is the fuel that the whole thing's built from so right. if i ever had to stop that and just run the manage the not-for-profit business that is impacting kids i would actually dilute the impact um, right. so that balance is tough to strike and so i think that a successful life for me is am i making enough stuff for myself that um that can fuel me and inspire me and, and make, keep me in that sense of curiosity and wonder about being alive. You know, mm -hmm. that music, that's what music gives me like, Oh my God, it is. It's wild that we're, we're alive. You're alive and I'm alive. And we have these emotions <laughs> and we inherit all this DNA and we come from all these different places. And, and isn't that wild? That's what music gives me. If I ever lost that, I would lose the ability to, to impact others in any sort of way. So I think that's, that's a, a, a successful life for me. Um, that's cool, man. Yeah, we've been able to reach a lot of people with our music, and I think that there's a lot more that could be reached. Um, so, so I just want to stay on that path and never get off it. And keep creating it. That's that's huge, man. That I know. I have friends and mentors that that ask me, like, "Are you writing?" Because I, because like I said earlier, I'm super into systems. I, I want to build things, and like, and I. I get wrapped up sometimes in all those details. And then I wonder why I feel dark and I feel heavy. It's like, I've, I've turned away from the creativity and didn't carve out the space. So I, I feel you on that, man. Uh, if it's like, if those pieces aren't there, like how can you even give to other people? Uh, one, uh, there's a guy named Keelan Donovan. Are you familiar with him? Songwriter, uh, singer songwriter out in Nashville, brilliant songwriter. Uh, and, but in his interview, he talked about the idea. I want to be full of so much joy so that I can overflow that to other people. And it's like this idea of filling yourself up with either the creativity or the joy and uh, in a way that's kind of here what, what you're, you're kind of living in there. Now, when you think of creating great things, how would you define that right now in your life? I would define that as um, just, I think that going back to my other mentor, right? That self, um, self, described self-prescribed maybe bar of excellence right so that it's like it's like i know what something great is and even if no one else is going to care that why we pushed that hard for it um nobody else is going to notice the energy or intention in it i did and and it's valuable to me to have made it that good um because i take pride in that so for, for i think building great things is that is like having your own definition of of excellence and always pursuing that for the fun of it. Not because you have to, or someone's going to grade you, but because it's way more fun to be excellent than it is to be mediocre. I love that. 
That's awesome, man. That's a great way to end things, man. And, and like I said, you guys have reached so many people all over the world and no doubt there are like huge, huge things ahead of you. So thanks for making the time. And uh, yeah, man, you have a great day. Hey, I appreciate you, Miguel. Talk to you very soon. All right. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.